0: any disease
2: it's humbling to be in a position of apologizing you know we all as a victim you always want the other to apologize to you but it's so humbling to be in the other seat and 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 you're shaking and saying i'm really sorry i own that so it creates more compassion it created more compassion in me on how it's now no longer us and them it's like i've been all of us
3: Welcome to U-Turns, the podcast where we talk about change
4: and how to navigate that in the best possible way. I am Lisa Oz. And I'm Jill Herzig. And, you know, at this podcast, we talk a lot about looking ahead, but today we're really more focused on looking backward. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that you and I have learned preparing for today is that... It's looking backward that frees you to actually move ahead. And we've—I mean, I had never talked to you about my teenage years before we were getting ready for this podcast. I know the the book that we read in preparation for this
3: was really triggered so many good conversations. Like, I feel like I know you so much better talking about the both of our pasts a little bit. And and it wasn't so much—I mean, the past is a big part of it, but it's also going in not just temporally back, but Deep inside, to ask yourself those really hard questions, like, "Who am I? Who am I really? What What have I done? How How can I think about this?" and And our guest today, uh, Zainab Salvi, is um, very evolved in this area. (laughs) She is the host of um, Do you say hashtag Me Too Now What or just Me Too Now What? Either the PBS special hashtag Me Too Now What and Her recent book, Freedom is an Inside Job. What do you mean by that? And why is freedom—we always think about freedom as being something that we have to fight for on the outside, and you've turned that paradigm upside down with the title, but really with the whole essence of the book is that it's all about the inside.
2: Can you talk about that? Well, first of all, what a pleasure (laughs) to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, I, my connection or history with freedom is uh, a complex one because I actually grew up in a country where it did not have an external freedom. You know, I grew up in Iraq, there was a dictatorship and we were afraid of, of our shadows, you know, of our walls. I mean, and I'm not exaggerating and I document all of that history of that fear. Um, in, in my memoir, Between Two Worlds. And I was like, when I was writing it, I was ta- asking, I was like, how do I explain pe- to people what fear is? You know, it's just like, I don't, how do you, because it's, you can't touch it, right. but you're always afraid. And so then I came to America at the age of 1920. And, you know, and I, it was like, for the first time for me to see, I, mean, I lived and I grew up coming to America, but it was living in America and I getting exposure to this freedom. And still this country for me represents that freedom of of expression, freedom of being. And it was like wow, this amazing, you know, it's like, it's exciting. And it's because of that, I felt like it's a privilege to have this freedom. And so I have to take advantage of it. And it is because of that, I like sort of started my organization at age of 23, Women, Women, International, and I would go around the world and serve and help women survivors of wars. And all this time I have, you know, looked at the world as us and them. They are oppressor. We are oppressed. <laughs> they are good. This is bad. This is lie. This is truth. Like it's constantly, it was a paradigm of good and bad, basically. Well, eventually over time, every, you know, like, for example, let's just talk about like, you know, I would, you know, spiritual communities and I would like worship and idealize. And I was like, amazing. There's like amazing values. Oh my God, I would get infatuated. And then I get hurt by the very like, community that I'm idealizing in here because of, you know, I thought it's acclaimed higher values of yoga and spirituality. And it was was confusing for me, right? It was like, no, it doesn't make sense. You know, like, this is good. And I'm getting hurt from the good. You know, it's like to get hurt from Saddam Hussein is like very clear. (laughs) But then it was getting hurt from uh, everywhere around, you know, and then getting loved from everywhere around. Long story to short is that I came eventually to realize the good, the bad, and the ugly actually exist everywhere. And that my simplistic dichotomy and dividing the world into us and them, good and bad, actually was wrong. That the good and the bad and the ugly is in everyone. More importantly, the good and the bad and the ugly is in me. And that unless I recognize The good and the bad and the ugly in me, it's constantly not leading my life out of control. So I think of it, for example, as life is like a a horse carriage and there is a dark horse and a light horse. Mm -hmm. And I'm only putting the leash on the light horse because I want to be good and I'm like, such a good person but I have a dark horse in me, as everyone does. And if I don't put the leash on the dark horse, it still expresses itself. It still goes, you know, takes me south, like, "Eh," you know, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So it's like seeing my darkness is putting the leash on it, is understanding it, is respecting it, is actually controlling it. It's not denying it. Yeah. And that helps me become more aware of the of the complexities of me, and that helps me relate to others, light and darkness, in a more compassionate way, because I know the light and the darkness in me. So it's a very long answer, but the point is, I I thought of freedom as an external, because, you know, I lived in worlds with, not, with no freedom and freedom, and now I realize the ultimate freedom is only I can, uh, only I can give it to me. The ultimate freedom from worry and fear and shame and all of these things that exist everywhere, you know, only I can give it to me. So it's, I am the cake of my happiness. Mm -hmm. Everyone in my life is the cream in it. Yeah. (laughs) But I am the only one who can give myself happiness. And I am the only one who can take away my happiness from me. But this
4: required... A lot of hard self-work. I mean, you you had to turn inward. This book, the writing of this book, must have taken a very long time, and all of it feels like you just kind of pulling up from the roots these darker forces in your own personality. You did not have to do this. You did not have to put this out there for everyone to (laughs) see. Um, Tell us why it's important to do that inner work. And and I guess I'm also curious,
2: like, you showed it. You you put it out there for, for everyone in a book. So I had to realize, I had to, like, I, I decided to speak and break my silence. And I thought I have no story. I thought my story is frivolous. I thought it's like psh, nothing. Well, I, but I had to tell it because it was a story that held my shame. It was a story that held my secrets, my fear, fear of judgment. You know, with people look down at me, all of these things. And I... And it it was really heartbreaking the story, it, breaking my silence. It's like first, my own pain, I cry. Second, my family's pressure saying, no, 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 please don't do that. That's a family secret. But then as I told it and I wrote it and I spoke it, all what I can tell you is there was like a dark stone in my chest that I would had coexisting anxiety in me, right? I couldn't breathe. And that dark stone became a crystal and I can breathe. And so I was like, wow, the taste of freedom is actually delicious. (laughs) I just had to go through the very hard journey of telling it and freeing myself from my fear, which is of the shame and of the worry of judgment. So then I started asking, well, where am I not in truth in my life? And that's how it started. The, The journey of freedom is an inside job. So I started looking at my marriage. Am I in truth or not in truth in my marriage? I sat looking into my job. Am I truth or not in truth in my job? I sat looking into my values, you know, between the values I preach as a, you know, and shout, yay, you know, do that. Am I actually implementing these values in my life? And I kept on going inward. And every time I asked a question, let's say the marriage, it was really hard. It was struggle. <laughs> it was like painful, but then you like you know like there's an anxiety in here. Like no one knows about it except you. You know because no you one... were in a marriage that no, it was a good guy. It's my second marriage. Wonderful man. It's just was a long relationship and become silence you know after a while and it's like you know you stay in the silence because he's a good man or you address it so like this is an example like that but i was not in truth and so you dig 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 deeper and it's like the journey is hard but then once you tell it and once you like say that's my truth And then it's just like, again, the crystal feeling comes again. You feel fantastic. So it's sort of addictive, almost like, you know, once you taste being in truth in one aspect of your life, you want to be in truth in all aspects of your life. Do
4: you you feel like you have to,
3: for the people listening who are are struggling and with change and becoming more honest in their lives, um, in all of our own lives, because we all have stories, right? Um, And we all have stories we tell ourselves, which possibly aren't the truth, do we have to articulate those to someone else? Do we have to tell that story, or can we just get it more clear and honest in our own heads? Is there a, a utility in putting it out in the world rather than just, you know,
2: psychoanalyzing it in our own right. head? So I don't have a judgment on that because everyone has their story, and that, that the weight of that story uh, Only that individual can judge what that means, whether you tell it or you don't, all of that. What I do believe is that, so for me, so one is I don't have a judgment. Do whatever feels right to you. Second, when you do tell it, even if it's in the space of your friends or your therapist Mm -hmm. or whatever, then it's actually, it does something, that telling, even to a group of strangers, you know, first time I told was my story was I was in a group of retreat with strangers and I told them my story, it was safe, you know. Mm. So it doesn't matter, but that telling actually released from the weight of holding. It's, so there is a value in articulating. I do it. think okay. because it's like sort of, it's taking the, the heavy weight that you're holding out. But you don't have to do what I'm doing, which is like expose it to the whole <laughs> world, you know, and that's just my choice, and a long time ago, I decided that the way I um, have my freedom is actually by telling the truth and the full truth about myself as the only way to free myself from my worry. But that's my style. No one needs to do it like that. You know, do it whatever feels right to you. But do articulate it.
4: We're going to take a quick break. More in a moment.
0: any disease.
1: at the
4: story that you told in that group that you said was sort of the first one, I'd love you to tell us more about what
2: that story was. So the story that the, the secret of my life for the longest time is that I grew up with a family that knew Saddam Hussein, um, I called him uncle all my life. We were very, very close to him, not related to him, but very close social friendship. Um, and that was uh, the nightmare of my life. I mean, it was not. It was um, a, a relationship of privilege, you know, of like material privilege, but fear. I mean, I, I grew up with my mom trying to commit suicide over and over again, and we're all worried and all afraid of him. We smiled when he smiled. We cried when he cried, like I need to please him. But well, the second story of my shame and, and fear for the longest time is I came here in an arranged marriage. I came to America in an arranged marriage. Now, arranged marriage back home doesn't mean that you are there forcing you and, like, enslaving you and all of that. It means they propose to you, your parents... And in my case, I was like, I don't know. And my mom just cried the entire time <laughs> and just said, please, please accept. Just I don't care what you do when you arrive in America. Just accept and just cry the whole time. And at the end, I just wanted my mother to cry, to stop crying. Right. Basically, it's like, okay, okay, I'll do whatever makes you happy. Fine. But, you know, but I came... But there's there's a value judgment of an like I felt ashamed that how could I be like this activist feminist be in an arranged marriage I didn't want to tell people about that and the third story of my shame is that in that arranged marriage to a guy that I did not know I met him once you know at the, you know I was only again nineteen about to turn twenty and he was at that time twelve years older than me which. When you're that age, it was a bigger deal for me, right, than now, for example. Um, but uh, but then it was a horrible relationship, and he was sexually violent, and I was violated, verbally violent. But he ended up, at, within three months, basically, I felt raped. All, I mean, and you you question yourself, when is the a, a marriage, you know, and it's like, is that rape or not? And I didn't have the language. No, I, ha- I did not know the word rape. Nor did I know what's a violation. Like uh, all what I knew is my mom always talked to me about sex- sexuality is something to enjoy and is beautiful and is to celebrate. And this wasn't that And that this was all. not. So I, that's all my point of reference. I was not like educated in. I le- later studied women's studies, but didn't have the vocabulary. I just knew that this is wrong. What he's doing to me is wrong. It does like no. Yeah, I don't care if he's legally my husband or not. And so I had to escape and I escaped with like $400 in my pocket and I only had like three months been in America and that's how I started my life Uh, again. I mean, I started with like I moved from the elite of the elite of Iraq, you know, everyone is afraid of us because we were Saddam Hussein's friends to having $400 in America escaped from an arranged marriage, my family in Iraq in a war with... Kuwait at that time, this is the first Gulf War, and I end up not seeing my family for nine years. These were stories of shame. As in, I didn't want people to judge me, that I knew Saddam, so <sighs> that was scary, or I was in an arranged marriage, that was very scary, or that I was raped, that was very scary, or I was abused wife. But there's also no. a reason that your mother insisted you marry this man. In hindsight, yes. And it took me nine years to see my mother and my family again. <laughs> that and must have been
4: so painful.
2: It was really like, you know, th- I mean, you know, I, I just turned 49 a month ago. And like for the first time, like, you know, you heal eventually. I do believe you; it is possible to heal. And uh, my mom ended up dying Um But on the, like, basically within the last year of her life is when she told me why she did that. And it was like just to get me out of his, his, um, it's still an emotional story, just to get me out of his eyes, basically, because I was becoming a woman and he was seeing me as a woman and she was... Petrified.
4: And so, that Saddam would do to you what he had done to so many women. We had done to
2: women. so many, it doesn't matter if they're young or old, so many women across the country. And so, so it's, uh, but you know, you have judgment of that. And it's like, you know, you're, you're, so all of these things. So when I told them, and I cried a lot in the process, and now I can tell you, I may I tear up a little bit still. It's still like resi- like the residue of it, just a little bit, you know. I still deal with some of the trauma that happened between now and then, but but more or less I'm okay, you know. And so like this is the breaking of the silence, because when you break it, you actually worry like yeah. ah, what are people are going to do. But actually, you realize, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay, I'm I'm safe, I'm okay, I'm strong, here it I am. It also gives people a way to connect to you. Because once you've shared that story,
3: they're no longer afraid to share their story. Exactly. Because when you have that distance of, here I am, the privileged person helping you, and here you are, the person that needs help, there's no way to connect.
2: Exactly. I mean, that's why I'm excited about the last year with the Me Too movement. You know, it's because it's sort of, it's like when women are breaking their silence. It's like, ha huh. Yes, we're all. Go- I mean, it's not all, but so many of us are going through. It. it creates a camaraderie, which encourages other women to say, "I'm not alone."
4: And are you hearing that from the women who share their stories? I mean, essentially, they're they're doing what you're what you're talking about. They're going back, they're opening these kind of hidden boxes inside and pulling out some ugly things that have happened to them and sharing that. Are you finding that they seem freer? That they that that sort of crystal part. Of themselves is emerging or are
2: some of them still mired? Eventually, but it takes a process, you Mm -hmm. know. So, like, you know, it took me 10 years. So, eventually, it depends on where you are in the spectrum. My theory is you need to do your work no matter what, you know. If you don't, either you are preemptive about it and proactive rather about doing your work on yourself, which is it starts with telling the story. It doesn't end with telling the story. That's the whole thing. Like people say, first you break the story and you cry and you get angry and all of that. Then eventually you realize, oh. I need to do my work, you know, because the story is a victimhood first. But then you're like, I need to like really understand myself in here. So you need to do, I I, I believe every individual need to do their work on themselves. If you don't do it in your 20s, you have to do it in your 30s. If you don't do it in your 30s, you you, you have to do it in your 90s, you know. But it will haunt you. (laughs) Your story, your self-work will constantly come to you until you confront it. And so that's why I was like, do it. It, when you are healthy and you're choosing to do it because it actually liberates you faster.
3: Some of the stories you've talked about, because you said it starts with the victimhood stories, those in some ways I think are easier stories yeah. to tell yeah. than the ones where we've been the perpetrator.
2: Yes.
0: And I think
3: we all have those. You shared one where you had to confront your own... Darkness, what, yes. you, how you would hurt someone else. Those are the stories we don't
2: really want to share with anyone. Like oh, yes. I was a
3: bad person. Yes,
2: yes. Um, but that's where the real work, I think. I is. think so. that's phase two of the work. Phase you know? two of the in work. Phase yes. one is like you're thinking that you're a accompli- you know like great you know and go for it. I mean, you have to do phase one, right? Phase two of the work is like, uh oh, where have I been the perpetrator right. or the bad guy in here? You know, like have I treated someone badly? Long story, I found out the woman that worked as maid in my family home when I was young, who was a child, and I was able to find her back in Iraq and ask and like find her in a refugee camp and like tell her 25 years later and say, I I, I want to apologize because I think I treated you badly. And that conversation opened a huge story of awareness for me, how she resented being the May, how she was saying it's unfair that you went to school and I didn't, How, what it felt like. And to be honest, Lisa, up until that moment... I, You know, I, I always thought I'm a progressive woman. My mother told me never learn how to cook or clean just because you're a, you're a, uh, you're a woman. No man should expect that of you, you know. It was like, you know, ah, I'm so liberate. I'm a woman's rights activist. Never up until that moment did I wonder what happened to the woman who cleaned and cooked for me. Yeah. How was her? What's her feelings? Is she okay? Like, and so that going into my own shadow not only I had to own it, but I learned, I learned from her. And it's humbling to be in a position of apologizing. You know, as a victim, you always want the other to apologize to you, but it's so humbling to be in the other seat and, and, and you're shaking and saying, I'm really sorry, I own that, you know? So it creates more compassion. It created more compassion in me on how I... It's now no longer us and them. It's like I've been all of us, <laughs> you yeah. know.
4: You know, it was so interesting reading your book and, and watching you sort of switch very fluently and fluidly from one side to the other, from the shadow to the light. And your ability to express how sorry you were for the way you hurt that girl, even though you were a child. I was, even yeah. though you were within a system that normalized everything ar- around your juxtaposition with her true it, it seemed like that enabled you to understand the mechanism of forgiveness and how powerful forgiveness is in life that's sort of a big thing that i took away from the book was that the ability to apologize is so liberating and the ability to forgive is so liberating and they are they're just connected you know, to that's science.
2: my favorite. i mean like that's the best takeaway i could ask of before because forgiveness for me and i really believe we need it in this country right now and 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 we need and i think it's we it's a concept we talk about but I don't know about you, but for me, I really didn't understand it until I needed to explore it inside of myself. So I always thought of forgiveness as such a, you know, a, a high value, beautiful value. Denzel Mandela talked about it. I loved it, all of that. And then, you know, and I would give speeches about, now quoting Nelson Mandela. I mean, like, here I am, look, look at my values. I believe in forgiveness. But the truth is I never forgave anybody in my life. I mean, you talk about forgiveness. And the forgiveness I talked, maybe I forgave my mother for putting me in this arrangement, but it's not a big forgiveness until a few years ago, a a man I was dating hurt me. He cheated on me and it really hurt me, really, 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 because I loved him. And here I am giving speeches about forgiveness, but to be very honest... I couldn't forgive him. If nothing, I mean, like, I couldn't forgive him. I was so hurt and so angry. I could not forgive him. So then I had to. I was like, so what's the point of me like admiring how, all these? How was um, that holding you back? I mean, a lot because of because I was have... inconsistent. Yeah, mm. I was in. I was like a hypocrite, basically giving speeches about forgiveness, but I don't understand what it means. So it was like, uh, I caught myself being a hypocrite. In other words, I caught myself being like, oh. You know, I'm, I'm not consistent here. I'm just thinking I'm such a self-righteous person with this value. But I want to, like, if anything, it was the feelings of hurting him rather than forgiving him that occurred to me, you know. I mean. So then I had to, like, someone asked me, it's like, well, can you find out where is the part of you that betrayed you? So I need to understand forgiveness inside myself. And then I asked myself, where have I betrayed myself? There was a lot of times I betrayed myself. It's the insecurity that betrays us, our own insecurities that betrayed us. So in my case, it was a very insecure girl that wants to be loved and accepted. And so I would accommodate people just so I can, you know, they they like me. But I would compromise myself in the process, you know, because I just please love me, you know. And that's how I compromised myself with him. And so then I could feel bad for her. You know, she's such an insecure girl. And I forgave her. I automatically forgave him without being asked for forgiveness. I really believe we can forgive even when not asked for forgiveness. And now my forgiveness, when I talk about forgiveness, it is not some mental exercise, a theory I read about it in a book. It's actually I understood what it means to be inside my heart. And it has a different energy to advocate for this value. We've been talking
3: about looking inward when we come back going to talk about resetting our journey.
0: any disease.
1: at purdueglobal.edu.
3: So we've been talking about forgiveness and self-forgiveness as part of our journey towards self-knowledge um, and personal transformation. But you say that we spend too much time celebrating the outcome, waiting for us to get to that place of enlightenment when we're good people. And we don't acknowledge just the journey itself. Can we talk a little bit about relaxing into that journey? Because we're never going to be perfect. We can't wait till the day that we never lie and that we never gossip and that we never do anything bad before we feel okay about ourselves. So let's talk about the journey to wholeness. Well,
2: you're asking all my favorite points, <laughs> you know, but it is, again, I mean, you are judging our like, you know, I love, especially in here, you know, like, you know, you brag about how many hours you work and you brag about how many less, less hours you sleep and you, you know, like it's all about, and then we get attached to outcome. Like we want it, we want it, we want it. And we don't surrender into the experience. And I, you know, and for me it's like living I studied with a with a Angela Zarian, who is a social anthropologist, and she said the rhythm of Earth is slow to medium, and that when we're walking and going about our life so fast, we miss we miss. Hearing and seeing everything around us, you know, it's it's like the it, because it, the everything goes actually slow to mediums except us humans. And in New York, <laughs> <even> <laughs> you know, we go extra fast. So, so I give you an experience for example. A few years ago, I got invited to go to Saudi Arabia to give a speech, and I wanted to go. Um, it was one hour from Mecca, and I was like, "Oh, it's just one hour. Well, I want to go," you know, and uh, and and I was like. I, you know, my trip got arranged and I'm going, but I'm anxious. Like, you know, I'm not happy about being in Saudi Arabia. I really do not like being forced to cover my hair. It's not exciting for me. I'm scared of the moral police and their police. They're oppressive in my, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, for good I, reason. Like, And if anybody touched me or tell me you know, you're wearing your clothes wrong, I would have snapped at him. Like, you know, like I was like, so I'm dreading this whole experience, but I'm curious. And I was like, oh, it's just one hour. I want to really go, you know, and but I'm nervous. And anyway, that tr- everything about the trip goes wrong. You know, the driver is supposed to drop me here. It wrong. And I get nervous and angry because it's not going according to plan, <laughs> Are you familiar with that? I mean, yes. like the only context is different, you know, but like it's not going, according, you know, the guide is supposed to come, doesn't show up. It's not going according to plan. And I'm like, it's just a chaotic, chaotic place. Place. Yeah. You know, and I'm like getting more worked out and angry. And, you know, Mecca is the house of God. Based, literally, it means the house of God in Islam. And so here you are in the house of God. And I'm like, just worked out, angry, anxious. Nothing is working out. And I... More importantly, I'm scared to death of the Saudi police, right? So, but I have to go to them because I'm lost and I don't know what to do. So I go to the police and I was like I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I'm lost and I'm scared of you because if you're going to tell me to cover up differently, I will just nap and just like not good. This is not good and I want don't want to confuse, you know, anger at you with anger at God because I love God and I don't want and I just like spelled it all out to him, you know. <laughs> and this guy in a culture that is like, you know, oppressive of women looks at me in the eyes which you're not like culturally you don't look at uh, the opposite sexes in the eyes and he said you can do it you don't need a guide you just go and you go to Mac it's it's just right there you go and do your so, uh, seven rounds around the house of god and you sacrifice a piece of hair and you do two prayers and that's it it's very easy you can do it and i swear like all my fear and projections on this Police man. Well, he was like an angel. As a matter yeah, of fact, yeah. So interesting. You know? The
4: person you feared the most was the person you finally walked up to.
2: Unbelievable. And
4: let it all out. But too. then
2: after that, I started crying. And I like I am um, Zeynep. Uh, I I have a love relationship with the divine. You know, it I just I love. I it's, it's just a very personal, it's not religious, it's it's just I don't care which religion I'm born in, I just love God, you know? That's that's for me most important. And I was just like I was like I sat crying. I was like, I'm trying to come here, I'm trying to visit here and nothing is working out and like it's all horrible. It's <laughs> a bad experience. And then I just, like, surrender. Like, I just, like, I can't, I can't, I like, you know, because all the doors were closed in front of me. And I just, like, I give up. I don't, I don't know. And that's when I could actually experience The feelings, that's when the call for prayer came and I started noticing people, men and women in Mecca are actually next to each other. They're not separated and they're Mm. not segregated. And it's like all the women wearing black and all the men are wearing white. And it's like we are ribbons of black and white because we're just in lines, you know. Everyone imagine millions of people saying amen in the exact same moment and I and I don't know who is the woman next to me. She could be a princess, she could be a queen, or she could be a maid. We are all equal in that space, there was no distinction, you know, between the liberal looking person and the fundamentalist looking person and the woman who looks what a color, black, white, brown, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And I just like, I started crying the whole experience. And so, the point of the story is I try to be very controlling about every aspect of it. And you could be, whether that could be an exam or that could be a job or whatever. The truth is you can't experience it until you, like, prepare. Yeah, and then surrender. And then surrender because you can experience that feelings. And I could only experience it. Same place, same situation. It's only I who change from fear to saying I'm here and I'm going to experience a feeling. And it was one of the most profound experiences in my life. So all of these things, constantly I'm learning they change. Like, I thought, I grew up thinking they change from within. It's not an external change. I thought I grew up thinking I'm ugly. Finally, I meet, honestly, a woman from Tibet, you know, and like, like this is not, not, not nothing special, you know, and she tells me, of course, I'm infatuated with anybody from Tibet, you know, it's like <laughs> spirituality, wow, you know, it's like, kind of teach me something, you know, and she said, you need to learn how to meditate on your face in front of the mirror. So... I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like a Tibetan woman tells me that I should really yeah. <laughs> experience that. You know, I go to my bathroom mirror, not some spiritual retreat, not some yoga retreat. I, my bathroom mirror, and I try to meditate on my face, and it's too much, too many features. And I realize I wash my face every day. You put cream. We women put makeup, but we don't look at ourselves. We don't see ourselves. At least I didn't see myself, even though I'm seeing my face, but not seeing myself. So I then decided to meditate on only one eye and only one pupil, basically, because that's the only thing you can focus, like the smallest thing you can focus on. And she said, Hold your meditation for ten minutes and I sat doing it one day after the other, until I oh, what I can tell you, it was it was like <gasps> a moment like
5: Oh, my God, I'm beautiful.
2: But it was from my pupil. It's like seeing your soul. And from that, your whole my it's like got rewired. It's the same body I've had all my life. It's the same mirror I've had for the last 15, 20 years. And I look at myself now. It's like, oh, it's beautiful. But what change is an inside job. <laughs> you know, it's not the outside. It's the inside job. And, and, and now my behavior is not that I don't buy. I just told you that I just got this shirt, you know, this sweater from Turkey, but it's more my, my buying change, which is much more out of love rather than out of insecurity is this loving? Is this loving to earth? Is it loving to other women? Is it loving like fair? Is this fair? You know, so I started into what I call ethical buying or I, I try, you know, I asked, what's the source of this? Is this has a story? Did you help another woman with this or another person, a man? So it's, it changed. So now I have one third less of everything of my clothes, but everyone has a story mm-hmm. in it, you know, and, and it, and I feel, but, and my beauty feels uh, ever shining <laughs> as opposed to the opposite before. It was like compiling it with things, but always an insecure look, feel of my look. Well, your
3: beauty is shining for them we, and we, <laughs> we both so thank, we you. thank
2: you so much for being here today. Thank it
4: you. It's really Thank you so it. much.
2: I really, really appreciate it. Thanks. And everyone
4: Pleasure. listening, if you want more of Zainab, follow her on Zainab at ZainabSalbi.com so wonderful thank you thank you thank you and reach out to us at U-Turns
3: Podcast tell us your stories of discovery of your inner beauty or just going inside whatever might be there